You're listening to Star Trek, the Undiscovered Podcast. Good evening, everybody, and thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show, the only podcast of mine that my mother listens to. And we are ready to go here in an unprecedented night, which we are going to introduce the rotating hosts and panel format of the show. First, let's welcome, let me, let's introduce the panel first. First is regular panelist, Dan Harvey Martin. You know, one of these days I'll guess your middle name right, Dan. Hey, what's up, Dan? I'll, I'll give you a hint. Oh, my Genie. God. I know that. Genie? I'm going. No, 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 no. But it is a TV theme. I'll let you guys <laughs> ponder it. Okay, maybe by the end of the show, because, you know, I am vamoosing. After I introduce everybody, so I'll be able to think of that. It's, it's it's on the tip of my tongue. It's not because you're tone deaf. I I know. Well, no, no, I, I I've been uh, humming that melody since since that TV show came out. The listeners right now are going, Greg. It's it's such and such. It's so and so. I'll give you a hint. Um, it was a spinoff of a show that aired later at night than it did. Okay, well. <laughs> I'll let you figure show, it out. Yeah, now it's stuck in your brain. No, at the end of the show, it will be revealed. I promise you all. That's what, what you're doing. And so I started podcasting two years ago. And in that time, this gentleman has always been on a short list for guests, but the opportunity never came up. Finally, it comes up tonight. The director of Will Reading, which I'm sure he'll talk about at the end of the show and plug time. Jamie and Salako is here. What's up, Jamie? I'm doing well. I hope everybody else is doing well. Let's talk some Star Trek. I can't wait to get into it. It's great to have you. And yes, that is what we're here to do. So when this gentleman, who is a regular panelist, but tonight the moderator, when this gentleman came on MSB podcast for the first time, John and I talked behind his back and said, damn, that guy would do a great podcast you'd make a great moderator and then in the subsequent appearances we always said the same thing and then he did batman the killing joke he reviewed batman the killing joke with john and keith and dj nick on happiness and darkness the superhero movie podcast and we said damn our opinion still stands of this guy the one the only moderating tonight ken radner what's up ken thank you very much greg for a glowing review that i do not deserve, but I appreciate it all the same. I am extremely, humble, humble <laughs> I am, I am extremely excited to, um, you know, be taking the reins for this one, especially about a subject that I feel so passionate about. And, uh, yes. we will be discussing our love and joy for what I consider possibly the best character of Star Trek, the next generation, Lieutenant Commander Data. Okay, so um, seeing as this is 
a maiden voyage of mine, I will uh, respectfully request Chief Engineer Dan Martin to increase power to the inertial dampeners because this is going to get rough. Increasing power, Captain. Thank you, Chief Engineer. So um, basically what I would like to start with is a little quote from Jean-Luc Picard regarding data in which he said, in his quest to be more like us, he helped to see what it means to be human, his wonder, his curiosity about every facet of human nature allowed all of us to see the best parts of ourselves. He evolved. He embraced change because he always wanted to be better than he was. And I felt that tends to uh, bring a, a good uh, sense of what data was like and what his goals were. Um, as a matter of fact, in the first episode encounter for uh, uh, counter at four point, um, Riker specifically called Data Pinocchio. And that definitely encompasses kind of what Data was. He was the artificial boy who wanted to be real. And that was his life's goal. And uh, he sought that in every opportunity. Um, one of the also greatest uh, you know, plot arcs with Data is, the, is his thoughts that he didn't have any emotions and that made him less human. I wholeheartedly disagree with this. Data definitely had emotions. He would just show them in his own way and describe them in more technical manners, but they were emotions. Um, what I would like to do is I would like to start uh, passing it around to the members of our panel. And I'd like to ask them all what their um, greatest impressions and things about Lieutenant Commander Data endeared them to his character. So I'd like to start with uh, Jamie and Salako. Could you please give us your overview on what you felt were the most important characteristics of Data and what endeared you to him? So I think there are a lot of reasons to like Data because Data is in a in a strange way sort of our us at our best because he doesn't have all the baggage that people carry around uh you know going all the way into the first contact movie when they're about to have their first confrontation with the Borg data is describing what it's like to experience anxiety which I guess he's never really experienced before. And Captain Picard suggests that he turns off his emotion chip and he does. And, you know, he goes from talking the way he's talking to done. And Captain Picard says, it's, you know, a quality that he, he envies. Like he's, he's like, there are times that I envy you, but I think there are lots of times that we envy data, you know, and, you know, if it's just for something as simple as how strong he is, how invulnerable he is, how, how, how intelligent he is, but he also has that wonder that I don't even want to call childlike wonder, but just a uh, curiosity about everyone and everything that I'm sure we all wish that we could just kind of embrace that, you know, whenever something really tough happens, data would say something about embracing it like a special challenge, something like that, rather than getting discouraged data finds 
a way to spin a negative into a positive and just try to dig into it and try to solve the problem. And I, I think, you know, whenever there are dark days, it's just easy to want to give up and just crawl back into bed. And I think all of us who know the character so well know Data would never do that. You know, Data talks about a time when he was just becoming more complicated and he thought about just shutting himself down because the problems were so hard about just getting into sentience that he thought maybe he'd just stop and start over again. And he just decided that he was just going to push through. And it's sometimes it's hard to push through. And you can look at this character and say, well, that character always pushes through and he, he always makes it. And, you know, he is the ultimate minority in Star Trek for the majority of Star Trek until there are more synthetic life forms. But for the most, most of Star Trek, there's just data. He's a species of one. And if he can do it right, like then like we can do it. Very excellent insights um, is definitely true in uh, every way that you uh, expressed it. And there are also many points that you made that we are going to touch on later. Um, that will be very relevant. So now um, I would like to switch it over to Chief Engineer Dan Martin. And what are his thoughts on his enjoyment of the character of Lieutenant Commander Data? And probably my favorite moment, well, not probably, most certainly my favorite moment with Data is at the end of the Generations film because he is reunited with Spot. And every time that spot with a T, not Spock, but spot. And every time I see that moment, Data and I, our faces end up the very same way. Wet, <laughs> wet cheeks. Oh, my gosh. That moment hits me every time. And I've been watching it for decades. But I also have to say, I really love the, uh, the fourth season episode in theory where uh, data gets a girlfriend and uh, how it just is very strange and awkward but um, i'm not sure how to say her name michelle scarabelli from alien nation uh, played his girlfriend in that and she did such a great job i think it's scarabelli or scarabelli i'm not sure which though but she was excellent in that episode they both did a great job and they played off each other brilliantly so those are very my, well done my big uh, moments and uh when I met Brent Spiner at Comic-Con, he was just such a sweet guy. He gave me a big old bear hug. I'm like, oh, man, this guy is the best. Now, that's that's some genuine emotion right there. Very, very well said. And I believe from everything I've ever seen of Brent Spiner interviewed, um, even when he's doing, um, you know, paid uh, fan Zoom discussions, he's always an extremely, uh, you know, generous and uh basically lovable individual. He's a great entertainer. Um, he loves, he said he was always the class clown and he was actually pretty much classically trained. Um, in an interview with him, he explained that his greatest acting mentor, um, what his biggest goal was to make sure that they were cross-trained in everything, that they could sing, that they could dance, they could do drama, they could do comedy you know, um, so that he wanted them to be extremely versatile. And it definitely shows off in that. And, uh, you know, Spiner's, um, 
you know, beginnings were great as, uh, you know, starting doing some kind of juggling show at a Renaissance fair, which was one of his first jobs that he did. And, you know, doing little well, comedy sketches Court and too, things. Yeah. Like he was, yes, right. he, was also on, he, he was also on Night Court. He was the Appalachian uh, person. I guess that's the kindest way to say it. Um, and he was, you know, he was uh, very, very versatile. And as a matter of fact, during his initial interview, um, not interview, audition uh, for Data, he was asking the, the crew and the directors, you know, how am I supposed to play this? Or he's asking his agent, how am I supposed to play this? Am I supposed to be just like a robot or am I supposed to be more like a person? And they, the agent was like, how do you think you see it? He goes, I'd like to play him more like a person. So he said, okay. He went to the audition. The agent goes in, comes back out and says, you know, um, they want you to play him more like a robot. And then this is one of the things which I'm, I'm hoping he's telling the story accurately because I can't understand how, buddy, how somebody could have been so lucky in an audition for a TV show. They came out and said they wanted to be more like a robot. And he goes, you know what? Then, you know, this isn't for me. That's not how I wanted to do it. And I think, you know, I'll just go because this really isn't what I want to do. The agent says, wait a minute, runs back inside, comes back out. And they go, you know, they think they want you to read for Riker. And then he goes, no, you know, I, it, it's still this, this isn't really what I wanted. Thank you. Thank them for their time. I agent goes back in, comes back out again and says, you know what? They just said, do it however you want. And they'll go from there. Who gets that many chances to turn down an audition? And then they still wanted him to come in. The guy has to have the most ridiculous amount of luck professionally that, that I've, I've ever seen. Well, um, were they, were they trying this amount of talent too, though? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Were they trying to get everyone to sign seven-year deals? Because that's that's a big commitment, and I could see it was a one-year deal. Oh, it was just a one-year deal for him. Because didn't Patrick Stewart get a seven-year deal? And he said, like, no, he didn't want it was to, all no. It was all just one. The first season, everything was a one-year, and okay. that's why um, Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner were both given similar advice, and they had. Um, you know, uh, similar ways that they approached it. So they said to Brent Spiner, look, it's only signed for a year. Oh, okay. Go in there, do the part, make yourself a steady salary for a year, and then it'll be done and you can go on and do whatever you want. And Spiner remarks at that time, he was in quite a bit of debt. He had a lot of bills and he figured, all right, I'll do this for the year. I'll get all my bills paid off. I'll get financially free. And then I'll move on to do what I, you know, what I want to do. And uh, Patrick Stewart had a similar thing. He came there and the famous story is he didn't unpack his bags for six weeks because his agents told him, look, go to California, get on the beach, get some sun, do the job, you know, for a year or so. He goes, it'll end because nobody can, you know, replicate Star Trek. And then you'll be free to do what you want. And that was why he didn't unpack his bags for a long while. And, and none, nobody in the series, I think, realized what it was going to become. Oh, yeah. How could they? Uh, the, the thing I just wanted to mention about uh, Brent Spiner as an actor. So I just went about my life and, you know, the show came and went over the seven years and they started making the films. And I don't think I actually saw Brent Spiner 
or Michael Dorn or really anybody doing press until much, much later. And you don't really realize as actors how much Brett Spiner is doing, you know, because you don't even make the connection if you're not particularly observant. That's him in Independence Day or that's Brent Spiner in a little part in The Aviator or here and there because he's doing so much, you know, like, like that's the thing about like when people have to do these big performances and you just learn, particularly like when you've been watching them for six or seven years, you know, you suddenly just see Brent Spiner and Michael Dorn just doing press and you're like, Michael Dorn doesn't talk that way in real life. Like, like even Brent Spiner's like sort of doing a voice and how the voice never changes. Like it's pretty much the same from the first season all the way through into the films. Like it's, it's pretty tight. It just starts as the character evolves, the speech evolves a little bit, but like, there's no like big changes and it's just kind of a testament to how good he is and how quickly he was able to create that character and just get all that down. And yeah, like, sure, like it evolved a little bit and he stopped doing the processing thing, but it, I think it all just, it's just pretty remarkable how well cast the show is. And just, it really gives you insight to see Brent Spiner playing a different role, just to how incredible he really is. That, that is quite true. And I also, going back to your point about the evolution of the character and how it happened, the initial. Uh, version of data actually from encounter at farpoint uh, did actually have emotions they didn't really bring that up until after that pilot when right. he's in the holodeck and wesley falls in the pond he lifts wesley out of the pond with one hand and he is smiling ear to ear at him like you know look at what i can do you know so he definitely had some more emotion than they played it later on in the series. And I think they kind of, you know, they structured that in a certain way. Yeah, um, not but that unlike was... Spock in the cage. Exactly. Exactly right. right. Yeah. Like it and took that, that them a while to, to sort of find Worf and try to figure out exactly what they were going to do with him from being this just character that's just kind of super aggressive. And then, later he had all this nuance and that's sort of true with data too right yeah there's there's a little bit of emotion in the pilot and you know just over time like you know like he says somebody says a word he doesn't know and they tell him to access his database on whatever and he's like he's like oh yes okay i know what you're talking about and then like he spits out a definition and then they just stop doing that after a while because they're like eh, it's, he, he's evolved past that we don't have to do that anymore that is definitely true um, so I just wanted to go through a uh, brief description. I'm sure everybody who's listening to this or the majority of people who are going to be listening to this already know plenty about data. That's probably why they would listen to this episode. But for those who do not or who are relatively new to the character, I'd just like to go over a little brief description of uh, Lieutenant Commander Data and uh, we can discuss that. So um, Data was constructed by a cyberneticist named Dr. Noonien Sung. And I know I always had this confusion, and I'm sure some of you who listen to one of our other podcasts are going to say, but Ken, Noonien Sung, don't you mean Khan Noonien Singh? You know, it's the same name. And <clears throat> this basically goes 
to a situation that Gene Roddenberry went through during his time in the military. Gene Roddenberry had a friend in the military whose name was Kim Noonien Singh. Over the years, he lost contact with this person. And he figured if I keep putting his name in all my TV shows, eventually he'll realize it's me and he'll get in contact with me. I was not sure what the result of that was, but that was basically his impetus for creating these characters that names were almost the same, but definitely different people. Um, so he was constructed by this Dr. Noonien Sung around the year 2336. And he was the fifth of six of what was known as Soong-type androids that were constructed at the time. Those being two unnamed prototypes, B4, who is seen in the movies, Lore, who is an incredible character that we're going to discuss for a bit, and then a, another android who was uh, modeled uh, after Dr. Soong's wife, who was his wife briefly before uh, her, her divorcing him, uh, Juliana Tainer. Um, he was made to be his perfected design. He considered Data one of his best designs, even though technically, in my opinion, uh, Juliana Tainer, who was constructed afterward, was a far superior design in that she made her so absolutely close to being human that she didn't even know she was an android. Yeah, that was um, an he excellent was, episode. That was that that definitely was had a little bit of a uh, you know like the Twilight Zone twist to it that like she she's been a robot all along you know. Um, so his construction um, was meant to be multiple things. Him being one of the most perfected versions of Doctor Sung's design, he was extremely durable, and as a matter of fact, some of the materials used in his construction were the same materials used in constructing starship hulls. Um, the, actually, the durability and his strength was demonstrated uh, very well in a number of different situations. Um, one that I directly will uh, pull attention to was Season 6, Episode 20, The Chase, when a Klingon officer um, challenges Data to the Bahat Kul Challenge, in which... Data brings his arms inside, the Klingon puts his hands on the outside, and the idea is it's almost like arm wrestling. He's supposed to bring Data's arms in, Data's supposed to put his arms out. Data is kind of uninterested because he's doing calculations on his pad. The guy challenges him, puts his pad down, they put their arms in position. The guy's like all, the Klingon's, you know, you know revving himself up, getting himself all psyched up, and Data just like, boop, arms down grabs a pad, goes back to doing it like it was nothing. It, it didn't even take him half a second to beat him. The Klingon gets upset, attempts to headbutt Data, and is instantly knocked backwards because he just, you know, hit into Data's skull, which is made out of the same items that they use to make starship hulls. So it just shows his, uh, you know, definitely shows his strength and durability in, uh, you know, great fashion. Um, Data was also designed to be, obviously, as we know, vastly intelligent and with a great amount of storage. His storage capacity was rated at 100 petabytes, which is equal to 102,400 terabytes. So by comparison, 
the entire contents of the Library of Congress is 10 terabytes. So to have that, that level of memory in something the size of a brain. Also, data's memory is 150 million CD-ROMs. Um, and his con uh, computational speed is about 60 trillion uh, operations per second, which very interestingly enough, as with many Trek technology, we now have computational chips that can exceed that speed. Um, but later on, Data modified himself to make his computational speed uh, immediate. Um, his physical and mental capabilities exceed almost any organic humanoid. He's highly resistant to disease, radiation, oxygen deprivation, uh, mind control and chemical imbalance. And the only real weakness that he has that organics do not share with him is uh, conditions with high concentrations of ions. He's only been uh, drunk once, and that was with poly water, which was uh, similar to the happenings of the naked time in the episode the naked now he doesn't have to eat but sometimes ingests an organic lubricating fluid he doesn't sleep or doesn't have to but began uh, having himself sleep in order to experience dreams that was following the uh, happenings of the episode birthright he is immune to telepathy yeah, that was really cool yes that was that was a, a great um amount of uh, symbolic uh, rhetoric in that, as well as in the episode where uh, Data is, um, uh, ex excuse me, the episode Phantasms, where Data is seeing uh, weird dreams and where uh, Deanna Troy is a cake that he starts eating and, you know, Dr. Crusher is sipping out Riker's brains. Um, very almost David Lynch in a way. And that was really a great uh, turn for them to take. Um, and then, of course, one of the uh, greatest things, and uh, through his relationship with Jordy, that we see that Data is incapable of swimming. He is far too dense. And uh, when Data is actually attempting to rewire Jordy's brain and then irradiate his organic componentry in his brain, Jordy regales him with the story of how they went out for a, a boat trip on the lake and Data went for a swim and immediately sunk to the bottom and walked 1.8 something kilometers across the bottom of the lake uh, until he could get to the top. And uh, Jordy spent about two weeks getting the water out of his systems. So what I'd like to hand it over to is, Dan, what are your feelings about how Data was constructed and his basic characteristic. Well, I think it's really interesting when uh, you look at various robots and androids in other films and television. You've, you go all the way back to Maria, who inspired C-3PO, Ralph McQuarrie design. And uh, you look at Data, and I think because he is so much more human, you gravitate towards him and you relate to him even more so than earlier robots and androids and uh he's just incredibly lovable as a character there are certainly uh, things about him when you think about his construction 
and uh, how he is to fit in to the crew and to the cast. And uh, one of the things that Lore tells him, you know, that the uh, that the people on the planet uh, were uncomfortable around him because he was uncomfortable around Lore because he was too human. And that's why uh, he made data the way he is, which Lore, of course, is lying and trying to uh, trying to mislead data. And all of those things go into play. It's like, oh, man, it just keeps getting more and more complex each season. And uh, data is just part of our culture now. I mean, more people said data before Star Trek continues. And since Star, not Star Trek continues, but Star Trek, the next generation, the uh, then people now say data. And I think that's directly because of Star Trek, the next generation. That is true. And from what I understand, Patrick Stewart had a very large hand in that pronunciation. The other thing I will comment on that is one of my favorite data moments, which is one of the the times I basically fell in love with him, was in uh, season two, episode one, uh, the episode called The Child, wherein Deanna Troy becomes impregnated with some kind of energy being that wants to experience what it's like to be human, so it feels it must go through the life process of being born and growing and experiencing things. And while Data and Dr. Pulaski are studying the child and looking at their readings, she repeated, she calls him Data. And then I love it. He just turns to her and says, Data. And she goes, excuse me. And he goes, it is pronounced Data. And she's incredulous because she, she was not really very nice to him in the beginning. She just considered him just another machine. He's no different than a tricorder. He's no different than the computer. He can just walk, you know, and use his arms. And so she remarks to him, what's the difference? And the one line, this is what got me. One is my name. The other is not. Thank you. Yeah, Thank it was you very excellent. Much. Great moment. And he put her in her place. Yeah, just so perfectly done. And then after that, she still couldn't believe it. She was like, are you okay? Should I scan you? Your heuristic processes? Are, are you, are you uh, insulted? And he's like, I cannot be insulted. I cannot, you know, and it's just like, I am just telling you the truth, you know, which is, that's also one of the things that made me love him so much. He is such a um such an arbiter of the truth just an objective truth and just the fact that he's not tainted really by emotions like i said he still does have them but he's not completely tainted by emotions he's not really given to too much opinion this is empirical this is what it is and that's one of the things that i think he he, he allows you to see things through a very specific lens and this is the reality um, so, Jamie, your opinion on uh, Data's construction and his characteristics. Well, I think one of the things that uh, you just come to observe over the show, over the course of the show, is that Data, as much as he is like us, he's not like us, right? Like, if something goes wrong, um, they can analyze it in a way. I, Of course, the 
medical technology on Star Trek The Next Generation is very advanced, particularly compared to ours. But, you know, we can't just take off our arms and just see if we can figure out what's wrong with it. You know, data can do that. Data can connect themselves to the ship, you know, that they uh, have that uh, fail-safe idea that they can use data to run the ship's functions if the ship's computer was damaged and it's an experiment they try and i think uh, data's uh ends up having a bit of a problem and the holodeck ends up having a bit of a problem i think that's a fistful of data i think that's all the same episode uh so you see there's all these different ways that data's like us but not like us so, like he has hair but i don't think it grows um you know he has skin but you know like data doesn't put on lotion but he is like us because he does have all those things. Um, even though uh, they talk about how the Android version of Dr. Soon's wife uh, is so advanced to fool you that she's a human, you know, she, she emanates life signs, you know, she has tear ducts, you know, her hair, I think they say, I think they also remark on her hair. Um, so in, data is like us but not like us and i always think that's so interesting because data is so accessible but at the same time he doesn't feel quite as connected to us as he would like to be because he he always feels that he can be like us but he's not one of us and you know you know that's like part of that internal struggle that never really goes away um but the one thing i think about data that is you can count on any human is that you can always count on data to react and it might not be an emotional reaction, but he's always going to react. If you pronounce his name wrong, he's going to tell you what his name is. Just as you said, he's going to tell you how to pronounce his name correctly. And data is always going to react, you know, and just because he's not going to yell or he's not going to cry, he's still going to react. And I, I think that's maybe what makes him, still so accessible even though you know throughout the seven seasons of the show you could say that he only maybe emotes in the pilot and maybe he emotes that one time q makes him laugh maybe there are a few other times but he's still so many people's favorite character and maybe that's why well it's kind of like how spock we all fell in love with spock early on data certainly fits that uh you know archetype when it comes to the narrative of next gen he's that type of character that you just really are fascinated by uh, much in a way that uh data was analogous to spock is Riker was analogous to kirk they were looking to try and recreate um that kind of magic i mean and much in the way that when they brought dr pulaski on she was trying to do a bit of a gruff McCoy kind of, you know, sarcastic, you know, not necessarily, well, not necessarily likable doctor, but I think McCoy was quite a bit more likable than Pulaski was. No, I, I do think quite a bit about uh, how the writing of the show evolved. And I think I've heard people make the argument to people who have never seen the show. They're like, ah, just start with season three, go all, go all the way through to the end. And if you're happy, then go back and watch the first two seasons. I don't necessarily recommend that, but people I've heard people throw that around quite a bit. And the one thing I think that works very, very well about the interaction between data and Pulaski is that there's conflict between your characters and that's good. 
And one of the things I like so much about Star Trek The Next Generation is that it's just this group of professionals, people who are sort of at the top of their profession. And, you know, they don't really argue and like scream at each other. You know, Captain Picard asks people for their suggestions all the time. And I think that's part of the thing that works so well. So it's always good to have that kind of conflict between your characters, but at the same time, and eventually I think over the, their plan was for maybe over the season for Pulaski to see data in a different way. I think at some point she stops calling him it maybe, or something to that effect. And yeah, I, I don't think um, it might not have been quite as smooth as they got because the writing got to a very, very high level very quickly. And maybe all the Pulaski data stuff doesn't work like perfectly, but the, you know, the conceit is there and uh, it, you know, it's something that we all remember, even though Pulaski was only on that one season, never to return. All right. Um, And by the way, data can control the length and color of his hair at will. Oh, I didn't Just know that. In case you wanted to know that, he did. He did make a mention of that. That you know, I can alter the, you know, the length of my hair, and then uh, I I can't remember which episode it is, but they're in the future, and Data is like the chief headmaster of like Oxford, I think it was, either That's Oxford all, or Cambridge. It's Cambridge. He's it's, got, it's the it's end. Cambridge, and he's got the and he's got the the white stripe going through his hair. Yes. And like, hey, you changed your hair. And he's like, I, I think it's distinguishing. Huh? Yes. <laughs> yes. And his, his housekeeper hates it. Yes. That's, that's <laughs> all good things. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's just, I mean, it's, it's such a great thing. All the, all the things they were able to do with his character and his arc that they brought him through and, and, uh, you know, so many things that they were just, you know, able to do with him. And that's one of the things that, uh, Brent Spiner did mention in one of his interviews was that the opportunities that he got to do to take this character into different places and, and uh, you know, what data lent himself to was, you know, really, really a, a unique situation in, um, in that case. And it turned out extremely well. I mean, one of the most beloved characters in the series. So now uh, what I would like to do is move on to us each mentioning what our well, what we've chosen as our favorite data episode it's very very difficult to choose just one as there are so many excellent data episodes and and I will be mentioning and discussing uh, honorable mentions afterward but I'd like us all to mention what our favorite episode was give a brief synopsis and then explain why it meant so much to you. So, Jamie, uh, let's start with you. Uh, so I'm choosing for my favorite data episode, and this is kind of arbitrary. There are tons of data episodes that I love just as much as this one, but Thine Own Self is a specific episode where uh, the two threads, one of which is the data thread, is Data has been sent on a specific assignment to a pre-industrial world uh, where the humanoids that live there uh, 
again, are pre-industrial. So Data has to go and retrieve a satellite that's crashed there. uh, And he's sent because the satellite is contains radioactive material that obviously would be dangerous for humans to collect, but not for Data. And so their plan is that they'll just beam down, he'll pick up stuff, and they'll swing back around when they come back through the star system and they'll pick them up on the way home. Of course, nothing's ever that easy in Star Trek. And uh, Data is damaged uh, to the point where he no longer remembers who he is and wanders into a village and, of course, encounters the uh, pre-industrial humans who, of course, have never seen a machine, never never mind one that walks and talks. And, uh, you know, antics ensue. You know, we see Data interacting with these people, Data trying to remember just the bare the barest of function you know he can walk and then he hears other people speak and he remembers how to speak uh you know he befriends uh the local magistrate and his daughter uh but of course even though there are so many things he can remember it just seems there are just other things that can't he just can't seem to remember what these basic combinations are even though he can read the word radioactive he doesn't know what it means uh so of course everyone gets sick data helps them uh return back to health but uh of course we um see all the villagers succumb to their prejudices because they don't quite understand who data is and what he's doing there and why everyone's getting sick and they just skate scapegoat him and you see you know, just your basic Star Trek analogy uh, for, uh, you know, how people just turn into a mob on a dime. And of course, uh, only when it's too late do they realize that Data's actually saved them from the radiation poisoning. Uh, but uh, he's murdered by the uh, person who runs the secondhand store in Seinfeld. I can't think of his name. Uh, but. Uh, uh um so uh of course uh data is not actually dead uh but of course these these pre-industrial people don't have the understanding to realize that so the crew of the enterprise shows back up they just beam back aboard the ship give them a little fix and data can go right back on right where he left off because he doesn't actually remember his experiences even though he touched all these people's lives and saved a bunch of them excellent um dan what are your opinions on the episode thine own self oh man that's pretty heavy when when uh he has no idea that that is uh, going to be causing them so much problems there's so many problems but uh it has a good resolution it goes back but uh it kind of because he is living in that society for the duration of the episode, it kind of reminds me of the one where Picard lives uh, in that self-contained memory uh, with the flute. It's very much along those lines for me. So those episodes are really fun to watch back to back and see each one of them be initially a fish out of water, become a part of a unique community that is not our usual starship community, and uh and all of the interesting things that take place yes the inner light uh yeah both of those episodes, oh my gosh i can't believe i forget the name of it i feel like yes. a dork uh, I, a bigger dork I, than usual 
or am I the dork <laughs> for remembering the name? Uh, and I also think that's just one of those episodes again where you get to see that town square and that set. They just they you know they reface it all the time. You always see that little town square, but there's something about the way they they shoot it in thine own self that I don't find it quite. I wonder if it's always the same if it's that exact same set or if they just came up with a different way to shoot it that time where I was like, Oh, we're back in the town square again. Uh, that, uh, you know, like <laughs> it when is they fun meet to the- see how, like when you, when you are watching a television show being produced, how just different angles in different lighting can make an area seem so completely different. So it's likely that they were doing a lot of that where it's like, okay, we'll move three or four things. We'll stick something different on the wall, light it differently, angle it differently. And boom, you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, uh, you know, Star Trek generation, the lighting uh, on the enterprise D is just so different. You can almost, it almost looks like a different ship. Um, I think in Star Trek six, the, the engineering on the enterprise a is the engineering section from the enterprise D, but it's just lit completely differently. So it just doesn't really, and they don't really spend a lot of time down there, but um, you know, you just can't really tell that's paramount efficient. (laughs) That's, that's, that's part of the game. Yeah. Um, My actually, my favorite parts of uh, the episode, thine own self was when uh, the, the local, I guess, doctor the, uh, there is you can see that they're trying to move toward a more empirical way of thinking about things, but you can see she doesn't have it yet. She doesn't really understand the entire uh, form of scientific method and, and data brings it in there. And just the ideas of when he starts to disagree with her And just like I was saying before, he brings out the empirical facts and there's no way to deny them. And she actually gets angry at him at first. And then she, I think he, the point at which he won her over was when he showed her the microscope that he made. Just the idea that she had a little magnifying glass and then he did this and she was just amazed. And at that point she was like, oh, okay. All right. He there was no way I could have imagined this. He definitely knows what he's doing. And then it was hilarious how he keeps name dropping himself. He goes, it is empirical data. And I was just like, uh, you don't even know. It's like, you know, you're, you're, you're like driving yourself crazy. He's like, you don't even know your own name. My God. It's, it, it was just such a brilliant, uh, you know, form of writing in that. Just the scripting in that was just sun, done so perfectly well. Um, and it was just you're a really, really... A wonderful episode. Um, so now, uh, Dan, could you please tell us about your favorite data episode and or moment? I understand you're going to veer toward one of the movies more specifically. Oh, definitely. I think it's really cool to see data evolving with his emotions over the course of the film Star Trek Generations, which A lot of people pan it. A lot of people think, ah, Generations isn't great, but it has always been one of my favorites. Uh, You you get to see the humor in Data dealing with the new emotion chip at the beginning of the film uh, as he is confused by the the humor on the uh, Enterprise sailing ship. 
and how he pushes. And uh, we end up with him very confused. And, and Jordy just being like, Data, why did you do that? You know, and, and he has to explain it to him. And, uh, and then, of course, you go through to the very end and uh, Data and his cat. Oh, my gosh, that just melts my heart every time. I cannot watch that scene without tearing up. Very good. And also, I will have you know that in Generations, Data had the great honor of being the first person ever to throw an S-bomb in Star Trek. Oh, yeah, that is true. I forgot about that. I consider it the first real curse in Star Trek. Because, you know, you had, you know, double dumbass on damage you him, and damage him, yeah. and, yeah. damage him and the, you know, but those are whatever. I mean, you could you could say that stuff in, pu- in public pretty easily. But Data was the first one that he was just like, oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, they let Data do it. And I was like, and that's, you know, so worthy of him doing it. And of course, that was, you know, he, he, he had his uh, motion ship activated at that point. So that was that was always good to see. Um, so now um, I would like to now mention one of my favorite episodes. I rewatched a whole, uh, you know, slew of them to see which one I would choose. I actually came down to two, but the one I finally settled on was Descent, which is episode 26, season six. Now, this is the episode in which, again, we get to see how great Data is and his his abilities. So the crew um, encounters some sort of weird disturbance on a planet, they go down to investigate and they find Borg. Now, as anyone else knows who's ever seen the issues with the interaction of the Borg and Next Generation, anytime you see a Borg as a Starfleet officer, you immediately poop your pants because they are the most frightening and daunting enemy the Federation has ever encountered. However, these Borg are different. They do not seem to be part of a collective. They identify themselves as I and by each other's names. When Borg are killed in the firefight between the Enterprise crew and their own group, they exhibit anger and a desire for retribution, which is something that Borg, who are part of the collective, do not do. So this brings a bit of consternation to the crew. They go, they manage to get themselves back, get themselves back to the ship. And then they come back down. They're investigating a structure and they go inside. It looks like it's, you know, abandoned. And then entire groups of Borg start surrounding them, yelling at them, you know, threatening them. And then who should come out but lore and oh actually the part that i left out was while initially fighting the borg data gets angry and he tells tries telling the borg who's attacking him to stop it and then he kills the borg he will later explain to deanna troy that he felt angry and then he said i felt something else when I was looking over the body of the Borg I had just killed. And she asked him, what did you feel? 
if you had to give it a word? And he said, I believe it was pleasure. So now this begins the arc of the story that Data is concerned if all he can feel is anger and the pleasure at killing something, perhaps he isn't a good person. So later, when they're all surrounded by the Borg and they experience lore, because Data has disappeared, lore then brings out Data. And Data is now almost as much like lore as he could possibly be. Yeah, it's creepy. And now... It is very creepy, and just the line, the sons of Sung have now united, that right away just gets you. And very interesting that later on, they are searching through different tunnels and things like that, and they find a separatist group of Borg that doesn't want to go along underneath Lore's rule, and led by Hugh, who shows up again was the Borg that Jordy def- uh, befriended and that they, he, they gave him back his identity. And instead of putting a you know, uh, collective-wide virus that would have eliminated all of the Borg, they decided it would possibly be either more evolving or damaging to send him back with an identity of self because that is something that would conflict with the Borg programming. So um, Hugh then explains that after they sent him back, the ship that he was in, the Borg just lost all types of cohesion. Some basically committed suicide. They shut themselves down. Others starved to death. Others began fighting amongst themselves. So Lore came to them and became a unifier by bringing them all together and probably using some of that transmitting power of the emotion chip to bring them under his control. And of course, a lot of things ensue. They fight with one another. They finally convince Data that he can come back to them and that hatred and anger are not the only emotions. Those are the only emotions that Lore is feeding him. And that he is capable of much more and they know that he is. Data turns around. They defeat Lore. And then they finally deactivate Lore. And Lore, in his usual petty, vindictive self, the last thing he says to Data as he is being deactivated is, I love you. And you know he didn't mean it. And you know he was just being, yeah. You know he was just being just manipulative until the last. And it was a very, very poignant episode. I remember when watching it, you know, realizing I didn't realize how good this episode was. Like just all the beats to it, how it, how it starts out, how everything goes through. Just, you know, Data talking with all his friends about, you know, his basic psychological makeup and you know, when he goes onto the holodeck and he's trying to recreate that sensation and he needs Jordy to disable the safety protocols so he could put himself in general danger or in, in actual danger, excuse me. And Jordy's like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do something that, you know, might get you killed, you know, and, and Data is just like, I have the right to endanger myself if I want to. It's my choice. You know, I just need you to say, you know, okay, so that we can disable the protocols. 
So it's, you know, very much data, you know, seizing himself as to who he is and wanting to experience uh, himself and, you know, in his efforts to gain some types of emotion and become more human. And it was very, very poignant episode. And I also feel that I'm cheating because it is a two-parter. So I, I'm kind of putting a two for one in there, but, oh, yeah. um, you know, Hey, I'm hosting the episode. So I get to do it. <laughs> well, you, you and gotta, two um, datas. You, you got to <laughs> yes. really give uh, props to a lot of the episodes that data heads, like the measure of a man is outstanding. Um, hero That's worship exactly. is a great fun episode where the kid is looking up to data. That's just another, another great episode. And the one, uh, the most toys where data gets captured by that guy who is a collector, uh, three really fun episodes to watch. And Brent Spiner, as always top notch, top notch. Yep. Very excellent. Astute observations. Jamie, do you have any, um, just basically favorite data moments that you think of when you think about the best parts of when you have been watching data. So one of the things I think about a lot is not that the third episode of the first season, the naked now is a particularly important episode. If you go back and watch it now, it just kind of seems maybe a little 80s schlocky uh, just for some reason. I don't recall what exactly makes it happen, but it just like the crew, the enterprise just becomes very amorous for some reason. And data and Yar sleep together. And it's not that that episode is particularly important, but this becomes a part of a thread that like we come to understand as part of data's evolution throughout the rest of the show and like beyond with the character it's one of the pieces of evidence that comes out in uh the episode you just mentioned uh measure of a man um you know data doesn't have many possessions but he has his medals simply because he just wanted to keep his medals even though his medals assuming data doesn't actually have human emotion like he doesn't feel pride so like why would he keep them he would just get them like, oh, i don't need these and just leave them somewhere or recycle them or whatever but he keeps them right uh data has a holographic projection of lieutenant yar because she was special to him even if he wouldn't necessarily phrase it that way and like he explains to the court that they were intimate even though you know that they, they he he and he says that like he promised he would never reveal it but you know his Riker or, or I guess Picard in in this case it's Picard says I don't think Yara would mind in that you reveal it in these circumstances and it's just it's a thing that you know we we see it's just part of his development over time and he uh, mentions it to Yar's sister as well later on too. Yeah, and I think the amount of time he tells the Borg Queen how long it's been since he used his intimacy programs lines up pretty well with that episode. You know, whatever he says, eight years, six months, like it, it fits pretty well, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's just like one of those things that kind of keeps coming up that Data and Tasha Yar had this special relationship, even though that episode isn't particularly an episode that people are a lot necessarily put on their favorite episode lists, but that 
event is something that they were able to build on and just something that keeps getting referenced. So it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's what watch guides refer to as an episode that's important for continuity, even yeah, it's if part it's of not the world a, building part of the, yeah. And it's adds to who he is. Yeah. That that's just what it is. It's one of those things that happen that make him who he is. And even though I don't particularly suggest everybody stop what they're doing and go watch the naked now, it's just still an important thing that happened that you need to know to understand the character completely. Yes. And actually um, the great Genesis of one of my favorite data terms, uh, data speeches, I am fully functional and skilled in multiple techniques. Yes. So, <laughs> that's a good couldn't, one. couldn't really say it any better than that. Such a data thing to say when talking about sexuality to just boil it down into that. Hmm. It's just genius, genius writing. Um, so now I would be uh, remiss if I did not uh, mention and have us go into the favorite episode of our illustrious director here, Greg Varab. Greg, I'd like you just to hop in here real quick and hey. let us know. Hey, all right. He made it. Um, <laughs> I would just like you to let us know what your favorite episode was. Um, I may have to mute myself because I will probably start crying. Go ahead, Greg. Well, my favorite episode uh, with Data is The Offspring, in which he has his daughter. And and what I could say now, I have not wa- rewatched The Next Generation in a really long time. It's it's coming up because I'm doing the original series now. So it will be it will be the original series followed by the animated series, followed by Star Trek Continues, finally, Dan Martin, and then Next Generation. So I'm I'm a little while from it, and it's been a while since I've watched it. I'm gonna but glue you to your gr- TV. Yeah. <laughs> what's great about the offspring is that you have the two of them, to my memory, struggling with their emotions. And are they feeling emotions? And I know the daughter feels that she's an android, but she feels it much, much more. Uh, to my memory, am, am I correct in this? But yes, she she definitely yeah. does. And it's uh, she her emotional awareness evolves as the episode goes on. She does start out very much as data. Right. And then her programming starts to evolve itself. Yes. Yes. And she might remember, use a contraction yes. too. Yes. Yes. From, from my memory. And so he's not reciprocating, but he is. And that is when Brent Spiner does those. And he did it throughout the entire series. But in this episode in particular, there's a certain subtle look. It is so brilliant that Spiner gave as data. So data gives it Spiner, of course, gave him life that he really, he doesn't even have the emotion ship at that point. He doesn't get the emotion ship to the very, very end of the series and then uses it in the movie generations. There's these subtle looks that data gives throughout the series. And it's very present in the offspring, the way he looks at her blankly, but it isn't blank. He puts something behind his eyes, which is the, pinnacle of any great film and television actor 
the thing that he could do behind his eyes in, in the entire series, but in that in that episode in particular, that he's empty, he's an android, but he's not. And it's brilliant. And it's present there in that episode where he's looking at her, you know, and she does that head tilt like a puppy, you know, which they, of course, used later in Picard, you know, to indicate that this is Data's daughter, you know, uh, again, but uh, the the way he interacts with her and his it's it's an episode about fathers and daughters. And at the core, let's forget that it's a science fiction and this is an android who made a daughter. At its core, it's about a father who is, for lack of a better term, uncomfortable with his feelings. And in the symbolism here, he's not uncomfortable with his feelings. He doesn't, quote, have any. But he's struggling through the whole thing. I mean, he's talking about it. I, I believe he talks to Troy. He talks to Jordy, I think, in that episode, if I'm not mistaken. And it's it's all about him discovering his capability to love. And it's not there yet. But, damn it, Spiner plays it like... Data, if you really want to break that episode, I mean, we could probably do a whole episode on that episode. Uh, it would be a great non-Trek fan watch Star Trek episode. That would be an excellent episode to do that with. But uh, so it's a man who his father wasn't, quote, loving to him. He doesn't know how to be a father. And I'm taking the sci-fi out of it and looking at the underlying subtext of that episode and it's just brilliant it's absolutely brilliant and he can't be the kind of father that she needs and he knows that but damn it it's killing data inside in that it is killing him and you see that in his eyes and that is why i mean it's an episode that um one of the episodes that when it was first uh, airing in first run syndication sold me on the next generation. I had watched, you know, from the age of eight on before generations, the movie came out, which I adored actually. I think that's a beautiful film actually. Um, that and the inner light and uh, best of both worlds. There's, there's a handful of episodes that gave me a sign of things to come that I was going to fall in love with this show after the fact, after it was on in, in first run. And that's one of the episodes. And I probably didn't realize then what the subtext of this episode was and how brilliant Spiner was. I mean, I don't think he ever won an Emmy, but he should have. Um, and there's just that look at the end, the, the way he looks at her with there's nothing there, but there's everything there that shows the evolution of data and gives us really what that episode is about a father who is coming to terms with himself doesn't really know himself yet so therefore he can't be the best father to her so that's that's my take on that so um uh, i'm gonna let you go on here and we'll talk about that episode so dan your middle name is benston huh you got it yeah i didn't want to wait to the end of the episode yeah i didn't want to wait to the end of the episode to to keep people out of suspense the other thing i wanted to throw in from your amazing conversation is that they later connected Dr. Sung, Noonien Sung, 
is that his ancestors, as we find out in Star Trek Picard, actually we found out in Enterprise, really, but in Picard it's reiterated and and really made obvious that the Soongs were involved in the in the eugenics and the creating the eugenics wars. Right, in the creating of the superhumans, which later became Khan, which is how, so Gene Roddenberry may have made the name similar for that reason that you stated at the beginning, but that is the, they did connect that the, the Soongs helped create the, the, the superhuman uh, race of the, of the eugenics wars. So, yeah. So, yes, that is my thoughts on my favorite data episode, The Offspring. Excellent, excellent insight. Uh, you know, really enjoy how you, you know, are basically looking at the relationship aspect as opposed yeah. to, you know, something people would do, you know, maybe look at a little bit more technically or, um, you know, the, the, the parts that always get me is um, when uh, Lal, her name was, which I believe is right. a, 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 an, a Hindi word that means beloved. I believe it is. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I mean, the fact that he gave thought to her name and then I mm -hmm. think explains to them why, if I'm not mistaken, this was in the episode, explains to them how he came up with the name and everything. I mean, this is a person discovering themselves through his, quote, child being a dad, mm -hmm. a single dad, no less. You know, yes. let's look at the fact there's no mother. It's a single dad is that what you can unpack in that episode is, is so many different themes, you know, not to mention the, 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 right. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, not to mention the regular evolution of data, which was the story arc for all seven years, you know, of, of, his, that, of him developing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and basically that, that part that gets me was when Lal is beginning to first experience emotion, and it frightens her. And she, she goes in to speak to Deanna. And she's like, I'm scared. She's like, Troy, I'm scared. And she goes, you're scared? And she starts doing the thing where like, she's thumping on her heart. And she's like, here, I feel it here. Yeah. And then she's yeah. like, you are scared, aren't you? And then she like <laughs> runs away. I'm even crying now. And mm. she goes and she, um, and she has to shut down. And she's like, I love you, father. And he's like, I can't love you. And she's like, I'll feel it for the both yeah. of us. Like, yeah, exactly. Well, that emotion me. that you're feeling, kills though, me. is great because it's what uh, Dan Martin talked about in the non-Trek fan watches Trek episode of this is what Star Trek does for the fans. Oh, yeah. This is why it's so special. And this is why I said today in Star Trek Fans United, anyone who doesn't like Star Trek has never seen it, essentially. Right. And I find out, like, okay, right. well, why don't you like it? You find it boring is like sci-fi, not your cup of tea is, is just the, the, you know, the structure. Like if you really look at, um, if you look at the wrath of Khan, if you look at some of those movies, it's just that, you know, JJ Abrams changed the face of the movies and, and the whole franchise really not that I'm complaining really, but it was just that it was set against the backdrop of outer space and that these were tales yeah. about humanity, you know, and you know, uh, it, they were they were uh, social commentary, political commentary. Let's face it; it was political commentary too, and just on humanity itself is what Star Trek. Yeah, my was. dad never gets it, yeah. even though yeah. some of it is based on World War II movies. You know, if you look yes. at uh, the original series episode, the first time we see the Romulans, it's a submarine story. But my dad still is like, "Oh, that spaceship 
crud. Of course, yes, he's 85, you know, so he's yeah. not a sci-fi guy. He wants but to watch I, things in black and white, and they have to have real submarines. <laughs> uh, well, the thing about Star Trek is so often when Star Trek at its best, Star Trek isn't necessarily about Star Trek. I think when you talk about memorable episodes and the offspring is a great example. And I had to like bring up a picture of my own offspring just so I could look at him for a second. And, and the thing of what I say, Star Trek isn't always necessarily about Star Trek. And maybe when it's at its best, it's not about Star Trek. Sure. You bring up the offspring. You can also think of the episode uh, where Riker falls in love with someone from this planet who doesn't have gender and you I can say, that yeah. yeah, and you can, and, and on yeah. its face, the plot of the episode is Riker falls in love with a space alien. That's not what that episode's about. We know what it's about, you know, because we're yeah. humans from Earth. But that maybe that's not the most exciting way. This is a much more exciting way to tell the story for us to relate and and make an episode about prejudice and things that you know need discussing in society. And Star Trek is great at that because. You don't have to confront it directly. You can confront it through this metaphor that everybody can sort of leave their preconceived notions at the door and then watch this other thing. This It seems that it's not about the thing that it's actually about, but it is. And I think that's what makes people coming it's what makes people keep just rewatching Star Trek The Next Generation. It's the reason why Star Trek The Next Generation, I think, has basically been in syndication since before it went off the air. I don't know if it's ever not been on television. You know, yeah, I, no. I know. Yeah. You know, like I think like it's on BBC America for cable carriers and probably somewhere else too. Like it was on Sci Fi Channel H&I for a long time. Every night. Uh, yeah. It's, it's Friday. All you of know, the Star Treks are on. Uh, H&I yeah. every night. Yeah. yeah, you know, so it's TNT, you know, that's why people first, just keep think, watching. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um yeah, as as we've been, you know, exploring in this show, of course, um, you know, TOS set the stage and for its time and for, you know, you know cuz, you know, um what is it? Next generation had 4 years of episodes and uh, yeah, uh, on the original series. So it was really able to take Gene's vision to an entirely new level. I mean, and and my rewatch of TOS, it's oh my god! You know they wouldn't have this without this. This was the setting. This was the precursor to TNG, and then TNG eventually became the quintessential show of all of them. Uh, it 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 took many years, but when people really now think of Star Trek. They think of the next generation because that's the show that everyone, why I spoke to some non-Trek, quote unquote, non-Trek fans. And they're like, well, of course I know TNG. And of course I watched the next generation, you know, because that came out in 1987, whereas 1966 was the original series. So, of course, you still have the original series. Oh, that will always be my Star Trek. You know, to me, there's something special and unique about all of the shows. But it was the next generation that solidified it. It was TOS that started it. But the next generation solidified what Star Trek was about. Excellent. Um, so real quick, I'd like to uh, throw it back on you, uh, Greg, as we have been just uh, discussing a few 
errant favorite data moments here or there, if you have a couple that you would care to regale us with? Uh, myself? Well, I, I think, you know, of course, as the series went on, and this is why Brent Spiner got special consideration, you know, in the films, when the films were coming with Generations, Spiner said, you know, give me something to do and I'll come back and do these films. You know, my contract is over, you know, so these films were a clause, if you will, they were working out the new contract to do the films. And I think they used data brilliantly. And then data really became, especially when Frakes uh, directed um, First Contact and Insurrection, you know, um, data, data really became the Spock. Riker, of course, is still the first officer, but it was really Picard and data, you know, First Contact is a Picard and Data's got a B story and there's a C story. You know, there's three stories in that, you know. Um, and so his storyline in Generations is just absolutely beautiful. What they gave him to do is that because now the chip. But look, before he even put the chip in, he he decided he wanted the chip. And in order to decide that he wanted to understand humanity more and understand emotions and understand himself, he had to get that emotion chip put in. Uh, what else do I love about? And of course, in First Contact, which is Star Trek at its best, along with the action of Star Trek that made Star Trek so awesome when they did do big action. First Contact just nails that and his plot in that and right down to the end. Now, people, I think their dislike, if you will, I, I didn't dislike Nemesis, especially the first time I saw it. I liked that movie. The, I mean, in subsequent viewings, I didn't like it as much as the first time I saw it. However, the Data arc about how Data had to go at the end of Nemesis, because, you know, they didn't know they'd be back for Picard and, and all that, where they even dig deeper into who Data really was, even though it's not Star Trek Data, it's Star Trek Picard. They, it was still, Data was a major, and still is a major, major part of it. Um, the fact that he sacrificed himself for that is, is Data's story full circle. So he, that he sacrificed himself for Picard. And he's thinking... It's a lot like what Spock did in The Wrath of Khan. Um, and he's thinking to himself, he's the only logical person to stay behind on that ship and let Picard live. And Picard wanted to let Data live. But that big sacrifice that he makes at the end was the wrap up of the. And then, of course, there was B4 who was clearly going to become the next day. Of course, we don't see him anymore now. I, I don't believe. Um, I don't remember if Picard season one had a mention of before. I think it did. I think that the data data storyline still played a lot of season one of Picard, of course. Um, but yeah, that, that sacrifice that he makes. And that's one of the things that people didn't like about Nemesis. Oh, data had a go. Cause I don't like to say he died. They didn't die, you know, he died, but he didn't die. He had to go. It was the most logical ending there. If I would to quote Mr. Spock uh, that it's, it's data's journey coming to an end. He sacrificed himself for his, for his friends. Thus there it was his journey to humanity was there. And so I really like data. See next generation was more episodic. Then, I mean, it had story arcs for sure, 
Deep Space Nine and Voyager was more of the continuing serial format. Um, Deep Space Nine more than anything, of course. But the big story arc in The Next Generation, or at least one of them, was Data's story arc in his journey to become more human. Uh, Dan Martin, if I'm not mistaken, there was a little bit of the canceled series Quester in Data. Was there not, Dan? Do you know the, the series that I'm talking about that Roddenberry wanted to do after the original Star Trek? And Leonard Nimoy well, know, was going to play um, this character? Yeah, Roddenberry had wanted to do uh, another Star Trek Right. Which evolved into the motion picture. Right. But as right. Far did, as did you not know was, about Quester? Um, did you not I haven't uh, read much yeah. about that one? Yeah, I, I haven't either. But and, and we I encourage the listeners to and I encourage this panel to Quester was right in the name. He wanted Leonard Nimoy to play an android on a journey to finding himself. And I think that that became data. If I'm not oh, mistaken, that's, that's brilliant. Quester, I'll have to look that. Yeah, up. if I'm that's not, yeah, cool. if I'm not, yeah, if I'm not, well, there, the show never existed. It never happened. Um, yeah, but I mean, but, just the concept yeah. of it is great. Yeah. I, another I do, data moment that I really like, yeah. and it ties into you mentioning Nimoy, is in Encounter at Farpoint when, uh, yeah. when uh, <laughs> McCoy says, I don't see no pointed ears on you, you know, but uh, yep. data reminds him of Spock. Yep. And, and, and I was, love the line. I love the line when he's like, you know, he, he said that, you know, I don't see any point, you know, points on your ears. You sound like a Vulcan. And then he goes, I'm an Android. And he's like, just as bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then, of course, that became Data's uh, catchphrase. Well, I am an Android. He says it like every other episode. It's, it's great. Yep. Um, yes. So, excellent, Ken, excellent. Yeah, of course, we could talk about data and episodes and for, for five hours. Uh, Ken, did you have any uh, uh, final thoughts and summation on uh, Lieutenant Commander Data? Well, I, I definitely feel that um, Data is one of, the, one of the greatest and most memorable Star Trek characters. Just, just the idea that he was so versatile, he could do so many things um, that he would see himself as this, you know, emotionless being who's just, you know, trying and endeavoring so hard to become more human, but yet he's so endearing and you feel for him so much and you would definitely want to be his friend because you can see he is, he is deep down a great person. And I, I really would challenge anybody to watch the majority of things that data does in the series of TNG and even without the installation of the emotion chip and challenge you to tell me that he indeed has no emotions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he definitely does. Jordy and Wesley yeah. and, and everybody particularly, yep. you know, he just, I, I, I need more friends like data. <laughs> yeah, and then and he just he even defines it. He um, he even says in that one episode, and then it's repeated uh, later on in Measure of a Man that Troy explains it to Riker. Riker would say something about how how does how does he describe it? And Troy is like, um, as I come into contact in repeated times with certain people, my you know, logarithms or my heuristics become neural accustomed to their sensory inputs. Yeah, my neural pathways become 
accustomed uh, to their sensory inputs, and they are expected and missed when they are gone. So, and then he, and then what is it? They they meet him in the turbo lift, and you know he, and because he was leaving, because he was basically quitting Starfleet, so that they couldn't dismantle him. And uh, he's saying, I've noticed everybody's behaving differently around me. And they, you know, suddenly stop conversations when I appear, just as you have now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like he calls out Riker and Troy on it. And Riker's like, well, let's just say that our neural pathways have become accustomed to your sensory inputs and they will be missed if you are gone. And then Data just tur <laughs> turns around and says, I am fond of you as well, Commander. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so he really knows he, he definitely, yeah, he definitely has, you know, some form of emotion. It just might not be developed to that point, but it's definitely there. I mean, and just the, the idea things... that he would use that as a way to develop, to define fondness. So yes, you do have emotion. You are fond of people. It's one just that this is the way you define it. Somebody brought up in, in one show I was watching about it is he's, He's almost analogous to somebody who is on the spectrum who is developing over time, you know, mm -hmm. which I think is yep. very special and very touching. Yes. And then and also what is touching from that episode at the very end of Measure of a Man, um, I think they're in 10 forward and Riker is in there and he's drinking on his own. And oh, oh no, they're having a party. They're having a party to celebrate that data want, that they won the uh, the court case and that data doesn't have to leave. And Riker's like all over in the corner by himself. And he's like, Commander, come and join us. And he's like, I, I don't deserve to be part of this. And he goes, well, you know, I, I don't understand. And he goes, data, I almost won. I almost had you taken from us. I, I almost. And he goes, but Commander, if you hadn't done that, I would have been taken anyway. Your action injured you, but saved me. So you're going to tell me he's going to say that line and he doesn't have any kind of emotion. That's just, I, right. I just, I don't, I, you can't, you know, make me believe it. Right. Um, but I think, um, you know, that's, we could, I mean, obviously we could, talk about data for like another three hours there there's so <laughs> much more there but um I, I definitely think uh you know we hit the definite points on it and i think we can see that data is definitely a character that um in some ways many people aspire to being like yeah. um, i know just in the sense of being able to just see things as objectively as possible and use that as a method to make the best and most, I guess, correct decision um, is definitely something that I have always strived for and something that I see in data as one of his greatest qualities that I will always, always admire. And definitely. I thank the writers for coming up uh, with that and in uh, enforcing that um, in his role. And um, his what I would of art and music and pets too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, he's just, I mean, he's just one of the best. Oh, people. That, yeah. That, that reminds me, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention another favorite data moment where he's telling Worf on how to take care of, uh, take care of spot, spot and, <laughs> yeah. and, and everything. Yeah. I, I will feed cat. him. 
Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Tell him he's a good cat and a pretty yeah. cat yeah. and a nice cat. Yeah. And, yeah, I will feed him. Yes. And, and, yes. and, and, and Warp is like holding him at arm's length. Like mm-hmm. in, in the most uncomfortable way you could hold a cat. He's just like, yeah. you know, you know, great, so great. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. Always. That's the characters on Star Trek. The entire franchise are just so complimentary of each other and different. And that's a perfect, that's also would be called a perfect data and wharf moment. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's also because the, the, the crowd, the, uh, the crew, the crew, the cast were very much, you know, had a great, uh, familial relationship like they oh, would, would say it many yeah. times they felt like a family and you can yeah. see it come through in their performances and TNG, i think that's one yes. of the reasons yeah and that's one of the reasons why i think diana moldar didn't work out because i think she was more of like a matter of fact i'm gonna come in do my lines do the scene and then go home yeah. everybody else yeah. they hung out together they ate together they were very much a, a cohesive family and it, it's one of the great things that makes uh, Next Generation such an excellent series. And then yeah. just one of the greatest things, the way they react each other. And you can see how endearing it makes all of those characters. And Data was definitely yeah. such a good part of that family. Yeah. Star Trek or not, TNG is just one of the best drama series just ever on television. Okay. Well, great. Now let's hear it for Ken Radner in his first Well, I'd like to just say drama. one more thing. I'd like yes. to say one last thing. Um, I would like to thank all of you for allowing me this opportunity and allowing me this position and allowing me the ability to research and rekindle my love for data. And it's something I will always appreciate. Thank you very, very much. Well, we're going to have great, more. Man. We're going to have many more of these character episodes. The next one we're going to do, Ken, where we're developing right now is on Q. The character of Q that's coming up in a yes. couple of couple of episodes down the line with uh, Holly McMiller, who recommended uh, to us to do Q. So looking forward to having her on. Jamie, do you have before you get into a plug, do you have anything in summation of the character of Data? You know, I, I think I want to do it as a recommend. I think everybody sure, should go. Sure. Go check out the two part episode Times Arrow, because it'll tell you how the other characters Beautiful. feel about data. It'll show you how data feels about himself. When the episode starts with uh, people from Starfleet finding in an underground cavern beneath San Francisco, they find data's head and data realizes that one day in the future, he will die. And he finds it kind of reassuring. He's like, I don't know. That's more like a human. Like all humans know one day they'll die. And now I know one day I'll die. And he's, 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 he's yeah. like, he's like to data. He's like, this is sort of good news. And everybody else is kind of like, oh man, this is messed up. Data just kind of like, he's like, I find it kind of reassuring. He's like, this is, this is pretty sweet. And you're like, like finding your severed head is not good news. He's like, I don't know. He's like, from my perspective, <laughs> he's like, it's pretty neat. Uh, and there's just, there's just so much in there. And you, you see, how people react to the idea that data is going to die and how data feels about it and data's adventure through the course of the episode and everybody else's adventure and eventual reunions and so forth. It's great. It's yeah, it's a two-parter, but make time for it. It's great. It's what I'll leave you with. 
Great. And Jamie, uh, so when you're not on here talking about Star Trek and Lieutenant Commander Data, where's the places on the interwebs that people can find you or where you want to be found? Tell us what you do and uh, where everybody can find it. Just the two places. Uh, I'm on TikTok at Jamie Filmmaker, and I'm on YouTube at Sailaco Films. Of course, TikTok is going to be super short content. And on YouTube, we're doing all sorts of different long form things. We kind of have like our chill vibes thing where we make fireplace videos with just music and pets and just relaxing. You just put it on the background, you chill, but we're also making other scripted content. We're doing top tens. We just did a top 10 Hitchcock films. Uh, we've got a, a top 10 sequels video coming and uh, we've got uh, a whole bunch of content. We've got a whole schedule that we're working on and hopefully eventually we'll get to some scripted fiction at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, check Write me a out Star there. Trek fan film. Oh, that's going to be expensive and hard <laughs> and complicated. You know what I will do? So I did make one little short film, one little short video about uh, uh, the episode loud as a whisper. There's just a weird noise in the background. And I think I decided that it's probably just like the camera rig moving. But anyway, if you go to Sailaco Films on YouTube or Jamie Filmmaker on TikTok, you can see my one little episode where I uh, talk about the weird noise and loud as a whisper. And you get to see how much I love Star Trek and my little montage of all these different little moments I, I put together from Star Trek, which include the episode where Dr. Crusher is having an affair with a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most infamous episodes in the Star Trek franchise. Well, Jamie, love that episode. Great. Yes. That's great, Jamie. I encourage everybody to check out his stuff. And uh, we look forward to having you back on talking Star Trek. Um, For sure. Well, well, everybody, we are taking a two week hiatus. And when we come back, it is our second in the series of a non Trek fan watches Trek. This time, the man behind the comm, DJ Nick, will be stepping forward and reviewing the film Star Trek First Contact with us. That's going to be a good one because it's a full film review on that one but don't worry we're not leaving you high and dry once again i'm gonna ask you dan martin to tell everybody what is coming up uh just a couple days after this episode we got a little mini sewed interview that you did while in kingsland georgia in case anybody missed our last episode where you told us about it it's coming up uh this sunday and it means it's march 12 2023 if you're listening to it in current or in later times uh, it's an interview coming up that Dan Martin did. Tell us about it. Yeah, I was down in Kingsland, Georgia to play the chief engineer of a starship in an upcoming fan film, which was shot at Neutral Zone Studios, owned by Ray Testy. And I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Ray for about 24 minutes, I think it is, about uh, Neutral Zone Studios, how he came to... Uh, be the owner of it, how it came to fruition and all of the great things that take place there and will continue to take place there, including fan appreciation weekends where you can go and walk the corridors of a constitution class starship. You can see the engineering department. You can see aux control, the bridge, a turbo lift, a Jeffrey's tube, 
the crew quarters and uh, just immerse yourself in that vintage late 1960s but futuristic vibe of Star Trek. And uh, fan films are shot there as well. And it's a real working studio. And I tell you what, I couldn't be more pleased to have Ray join us. I took the laptop down there, took two microphones, and uh, they traveled safely in the airplane, which was really good. It's a great interview, and uh, we hope you're all going to enjoy it. It really is a great interview and an in-depth look at Neutral Zone Studios and how you could go there uh, if you're in Georgia. And I love Georgia. Ray. Ray is one of the nicest guys you could ever hang out with in your entire life. Absolutely. And you will hear him in the next show, little mini-sode for you, to hold you over until the Star Trek First Contact review. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us as usual. We're going to end transmission now, but right now we're going to turn it right back to Dan Martin to tell you where you can find the team of Star Trek, the Undiscovered Podcast. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to Star Trek, the Undiscovered Podcast. Find our team members, Greg Vorob, on Facebook, G-R-E-G-V-O-R-O-B, on YouTube at Greg Vorob. Also, check out MSV Podcast Presents The Fake and the Whimsy. Daniel Hawley on Facebook, H-U-L-L-E-Y, and on Twitter at bland underscore dull underscore don't. Ken Radner on Facebook, K-E-N-R-A-D-N-E-R. Matthew Millsop on Facebook, Matthew Markson, M-A-R-K-S-O-N. And me, Dan Martin, at BasemanDanMartin3700 on YouTube. Find this podcast on Facebook at the groups Star Trek Fans United and Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. On Twitter at STTU Podcast. Or shoot us an email to sttupodcast at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening to Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. And until next time, live long and prosper. Prosper.